morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here today. Um, before we start, um, I'm actually going to do something different again. Today, I'm calling another audible. I'm not going to be preaching on this message today. This will be next week. Um, but there's been something sort of pressing on my heart over the past week or so. And I was actually going to save this until um, September, but I think it's appropriate for us to look at this passage and ask God the question, what does it mean to be in Jesus? What does it mean to be in Christ? I'm not sure if the AV team can do this, but if not, that's okay. But if you have your Bibles or your apps, we will be reading from Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. Galatians chapter 2, verse 17 through 21. This is God's word. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. I think when we're all young, we have expectations of what adult life should look like. When we're young, not only are we impressionable, but we're also idealistic of what life should look like. And then when that life crashes down around us, the obvious reaction for us as people is to get cynical about life. And to start seeing things in a darkened way rather than the naive, idealistic young person. This also happens in church and happens in our own faith. When we first come to know the Lord, we have this idealistic notion of what it means to be in Jesus and what it means to have a full faith. And oftentimes when those expectations are not met, we become cynical about ourselves, our own faith, faith of others, faith of the church. And what used to become a, a routine and habit of joy becomes simply a routine for the sake of routine. We must 
always be careful and diligent to understand how God works, what salvation looks like, that our joy may be placed in its appropriate place, and not according to our naivete of our spiritual experiences as young people. This is the only way that we can grow as a church. And this is the only way that we can grow as individuals. We need to become, as some of you might know, those 70 or 80-year-old grandmas or grandpas out there whose faith in the Lord has grown tremendously, whose stories, when you hear them, you are just incredulous of the, of the temptations and trials that they went through. But in the end, their joy is in Christ. And their love for you is unmistakable. And their smile towards you is sincere. We at this young age of, of, as a church must have a goal to which Christ has called us to for maturity. In this passage today, Paul talks about us being united with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now there is a question that has been going on and that still enters into our theological sphere, but also enters into our personal sphere as well. Paul is saying here is that Christ now lives in me. That how I used to live, I no longer live. But I live according to the faith that God has presented to me. Now the question is this. How can God live in me? How can God live in me who is a sinner? How can something that is holy unite itself to something that is not holy? And that's what verse 17 is. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then the servant of sin? In other words, if you take something that's holy, like Jesus himself, and unite him to someone like us, who is a sinner, does that mean Jesus is serving sin? Now, in church history, this was sort of a big deal. And even today, the question still arises, what place does holy have with unholiness? The Catholic Church sought to answer this question very simply. Holiness has no place for unholiness. Jesus cannot unite himself with someone that is unholy. And so in a Catholic religion, you have to go through your sense of penance. You have to go through your confession in order to cleanse yourself. 
But not only is it objectively you're cleansed according to the theology, but you yourself subjectively in your heart have to feel cleansed. And then when you feel cleansed, then you can receive the Eucharist, the bread and the wine, which is literally the body and blood of Christ, so that you can be united to the pure self that you are. Objective theology. Ramifications in everyday life. The Catholic Church's stance. The holy God cannot unite himself with an unholy person. But that is not the doctrine that Paul teaches. And in fact, it's contrary to everything that we stand for and we believe in in this church. There is no way that any of us, if we use Paul's language, can satisfy the law in order for God to unite himself to us when we are in some sort of cleansed or perfect state. There's no way that we can do that. I don't know if many of you have saw, seen the movie The Mission. I know you have all know that song, Gabriel's Oboe. That's, that's famous. If you haven't seen the movie, go see the movie. It's about a man, a missionary, who, who goes into South America to do his penance. And he himself subjectively doesn't feel like he's cleansed, so he just does more and more and more until he feels like his heart is clean before the Lord. Why? His theology informs his heart that I must be perfect or follow the law before Jesus can unite himself with me. Our passage and our theology and scripture teaches us that is not so. In fact, the beauty of what we have received from God is that what is godly has united himself with us who is ungodly. And that our hope does not come from anything that we have accomplished. But our hope comes in knowing that God has come down and by his sheer grace and mercy has placed the spirit in us that we realize that it is not us who live trying to follow the law but it's Christ and his law of grace and mercy that now lives in me. All of you who have come to know Jesus, or better yet, all of you who Jesus, has, by his grace, has come down and united himself with you, your faith is not according to anything that you've done but your faith is according to the law of Christ, and that is the law of love and mercy. And you belong to him. 
in your sins, in your weaknesses, in the fullness of your fallen humanity. God loves you. And this is a truth that in our minds, growing up in a church like this, that we can assent to in our brains and say, I totally get it and I totally believe it. There is absolutely no possible way that I can please God. God loves me out of sheer grace and sheer mercy. But here's where we become Catholic. Here's where we become like Pharisees, Sadducees, law keepers. Is that after we've come to know Jesus that way, we start believing that the only way for Jesus' love to continue to abide in me is if I attain to some level of perfection, if I cross off some sort of checklist, if I can tick off a box that I have arrived at some point in sanctification, that God will love me even more. But here's the problem. Just like that priest who went to South America to do his penance, how can you subjectively ever say that you've reached a point that you have pleased God 100%. Let me tell you right now, when you are a young Christian, you will fool yourself into believing that you've reached that point. And you will start to believe that God loves you more because you've reached that point. As you get older, what happens? You realize you never reached that point. But instead of rejoicing in Jesus and what he has done for you, you become cynical, downcast, unbelieving in that faith that God had first given you. Does that sound like anyone? It sounds like me. We have to remember that God's love for us is by grace. No matter how much we progress in sanctification according to our own eyes, or how much we seem to fail in our sanctification according to our own eyes. Either way, God's love and grace for us is still the same, and our identity in Him is still the same. Our growth in Him, our love to follow Him, our, our love to be like Him has no measure in terms of God's love for me. All it does is show my understanding, my love for Jesus. How are you? Do you believe that you've been crucified with Christ? That you no longer live? 
the law no longer works in you. That your relationship with God has nothing to do with whether you keep some law or not or attain to some measure of holiness. But is your measure simply Christ loves me? For in this life, if you start to switch it ever so slightly and your measure starts to change, Jesus loves me only if dot, 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 fill in the blank. Then you will lose the sense of awe and joy that God has for you. But here's the second thing that happens when we lose this sense for ourselves. Because if the measure for myself is simply, I am saved by grace and grace alone, I will have, quote unquote, let me, let me just couch it this way. I will have mercy on myself because God has mercy on me. I will love other people because God has loved me. I expect to be sinned against because I keep sinning against God. My, my enjoyment in God is because he just loves me and I, and I just want to love him in my imperfection. If that's the measure I have for myself, then that same measure I will have for other people. That's just the way it goes. If that's how I am in understanding my faith, that's how you are understanding your faith, you will treat other people that way. And if you're not able to, guess what? You will feel a sense of guilt and a sense of, this is wrong. God help me. But what happens if all of a sudden you have forgotten the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and your measure turns into that pharisaical measure of, hey, if I need to measure up to get more love from Jesus, you need to measure up to get more love from Jesus. Which turns into this. Hey, if I need to measure up to get more love of Jesus, you need to measure up to get more love of Jesus. And if God has chosen me to show you the love of Jesus, well, if you don't measure up, I'm not showing you the love of Jesus. Because you do the same thing to yourself. If I don't measure up, I can't go to Jesus. If I don't measure up, I can't go to him. And you become your, your own worst enemy, an impediment to receive God's grace, to go with him, an impediment to other people, to share God's grace with other people. It is this type of sinister thing that, that Satan does to us in our minds, in our hearts that weakens our faith and weakens the church. We know better. And we must believe that this is a church of grace. And this is a church of love. And this is a church that does not count each other's sins against them. 
And this is a church that does not count even our own sins against ourselves. But God's grace and God's forgiveness is for all. Jesus has united himself not with pure people here in this room. There is no one here like that. Not one. And what's wonderful about that mercy is that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And Jesus still chooses to love you to bestow his grace upon you, to bestow his presence upon you. You no longer live according to the law. You no longer keep records of right and wrong for yourself or for other people. You live by the law of Christ, that you belong to him, and that brothers and sisters belong to you and to him as well. Two very practical things. Number one, preach the gospel to yourself every day, brothers and sisters. Tell yourself, I am loved despite how well I think I'm doing or how bad I think I'm doing. I am loved by God. I belong to Him. May that love shower you with freedom. May you no longer have fear of anyone or or anything. May that joy just overflow in in the way you, 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 you approach people, in the way you approach yourself. You were bought at a price for the sake of love, for the sake of God's joy. Number two, do not put any, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Do not say to other people, do not put obligations upon other people to receive God's grace through you. I'll say that again. Do not have a prerequisite for other people to say, you need to act X, Y, and Z around me in order for you to receive God's grace that is found in me. This happens quite often. I, I love the fact that we have the greeting and Andy does a great job. It says, hey, let's greet one another. And when we greet one another, you'll see people, and I'll, I'll look around sometimes, people who you want to move towards and people you want to move away. <laughs> and sometimes you see that person who wants to move towards you that you want to move away from. So they take a step this way, and suddenly you're 
your head turns the other way. <laughs> or sometimes you might have had a little quibble or quabble or, or something. And in your heart you say, until this is rectified, I am withholding God's grace from you. We must repent of that. Because if you continue on that path, you will forget God's grace and mercy for yourself as well. If we do not love one another, if we do not seek to love one another in Christ, all that is left of you will be your own worries, your own sins, your own problems. That's all you'll think about. But if by God's grace you are able to love people with the love of Christ, that is, yes, difficult for you because you're dying to yourself. Then what will reside in you is simply God's forgiveness and God's grace to others and to yourself as well. We must ask the Lord, the Lord, to do this work for us. Brothers and sisters, how sweet it is to know. And here's the kicker, right? That even as we say all of these things, God himself already knows that we are sinning like this. And God himself already knows that this will be a battle for us until he comes home. And even this sin that we commit against him of forgetting his goodness, this sin of acting like Pharisees, God still loves you and forgives you. Your job is not to say, I'm going to change right now. Your job is simply go, God, receive me again. Receive me freely like you've done before. Forgive me again. And let me dwell with you for indeed you have never ever left me. So may Christ bless this church. May Christ bless you. And may we truly be a blessing to everyone. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. There is no one like you. Father, we confess that we are prone to become Pharisees, legalists, not only to others, but to ourselves. And Father, we, we see that in ourselves because the joy just is gone. We see that in ourselves because we just become cynical about faith, cynical about God. And so forgive us for that perfect, unadulterated love that you have shown us, Lord, 
we've adulterated with our own laws. So help us, Lord God. We confess to you, Lord, that this is difficult. This is very difficult for many of us, for all of us, for we are still sinners. And yet that's the beauty of what we just talked about. This is not a vicious circle, Lord God, that you've placed upon us, Lord God. But Lord, this is a line that will keep going, Lord, that we will understand more of your love for us, that you empower us more to show grace and love to others. All, Lord, holding fast to the truth that none of us will be perfect in this world, but that your grace and your love is shown and manifest, Lord, in the midst of our sinfulness, in our weakness, and yes, in our disobedience and rebelliousness, Lord God. But help us, Lord. Sanctify us with the truth. Sanctify us with your love. Help us, Lord, to be courageous, to do the hard looking in our hearts, Lord, that we may bring you glory, honor in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.